Last week, we did a little bit of an intro into these books that are often referred to as the minor prophets. And when you think about these books, and you think about just church teachings, uh, these books are often skipped over for three main reasons, okay? Uh, number one is the prophetic speech spoken throughout. Uh, I mean, it can be difficult to understand. We don't, we don't get some of the figures of speech that are in there. Right, like, like for this one, I, mean, I just opened up my Bible this morning and I just threw this in there. For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Right, like, I mean, what's that even mean? There's, there's, a, lot of things, there's a lot of things there that it's like, whoa. And, and so because of speech like this, we, we, we avoid it. And, and then this prophetic speech, it could be abrasive. I mean, that, that, was a, that was a pretty strong figure of speech, if you will. And, and God can be very direct. And, and culturally, to this day and age, we kind of embrace this feel-goodism that we perceive the New Testament to offer. Jesus was more kind. He was softer. He was more gentle. And, 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 and some of those Old Testament things, man, they were just pretty hardcore and, and straight to the point. And, and we don't like that kind of language. We don't, we, don't get, we don't like that kind of talk where it's abrasive, if you will. And so because of the fact that there is this prophetic speech and it's hard to understand within the figures of speech and the fact that it can be abrasive, um, it takes work. That's the third reason that we avoid these things. It takes work to understand and to interpret the prophets. And so last week, we kind of jumped into a little bit of the history. We talked a little bit about a summary of, of what we're going to be looking at. And, and here's the thing. All the prophets have this in common. They point to Jesus. No, no matter what the, the message was for the day, they point to Jesus. But Jeremiah tells us one of the main themes of all the prophets. And this is found in 2 Kings chapter 17. All, right? all the prophets point to Jesus, but this is also uh, a running theme within the prophets. Uh, 2 Kings 17 verse 3 says, The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. <coughs> but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. All the messengers, all the prophets came before the people that God had in front of them and said, you need to turn from your evil ways but how do people respond they would not listen they were stiff-necked y'all know any stiff-necked people huh you can say stubborn all right a lot of times you can insert the word you, you know a donkey if you will right like i mean that, that that's that's the kind of people we're talking about here let us not be stiff-necked church let us not be stiff-necked people holding on to culture and tradition. Let us not be who Jeremiah is talking to. 
So today, hey, we start with a doozy. I mean, we, 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 we're going to start with the book of Hosea, as you can see right there. And boy, let me tell you, we're, we're just jumping in the deep end right away with some uncomfortable talk that we're probably going to face over the course of the next several, several weeks. Uh, the book of Hosea, if you read it, uh, and I hope that you will take some time this week to do that, it, it can feel complex. Uh, but here's the thing. Interpretive help is found when we realize that it's intended to be approached as what scholars say is a living parable. Okay, now, now God loves to use parables. Uh, a, a parable as Jesus used them is a word picture designed to illuminate truth. And we love the parables of Jesus, right? So the first part of Hosea, as we, we will see in just a minute, it presents us a living parable, all right? As we'll see, God tells this messenger to marry a prostitute just to make a point to the people of Israel, right? Like, I mean, he takes this man, he says, you're going to marry this, this woman who is of the night. And like any other parable, even a living one, the characters and the storyline always point to a greater truth, and that is the relationship between God and his people. You check it out. You follow Jesus' teachings. And you see which of those parables does not point to the relationship between God and his people. You're not going to find it. And so as we get into Hosea, we've got to understand that, that as you read through it, it's a living parable. And so let me give you some quick background. Hosea. Uh, Hosea was the last of the prophets sent to Israel before her fall. Uh, we've got those sheets somewhere around here from last week. He kind of gives all the all, all the, the, the details of, of, of uh, the breakdown of the kingdoms and when they split and which kingdoms belong to who and kings and all that kind of stuff. And Hosea was the last of the prophets sent to Israel before its fall. Hosea's name means salvation. Now, Jeroboam is the first king of Israel after the split. Uh, and, and so Jeroboam is, so you, you, had, you had David, you had Solomon, and then after that, the, kings, the, the kingdoms were divided, and Jeroboam is the first king of Israel after the split, and this is what he does. He introduces to his kingdom idol worship in the form of a bull calf. All right? Now, here's the significance of this. This is what Jeroboam kind of had in his mind. The kingdoms have split. And, and where was the worship to take place to God? In the temple. Where was the temple? It was in the other kingdom. It, 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 it was in the kingdom of Judah. It was in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam's like, well, I don't want my people going all the way up to Jerusalem to worship God, so I'm going to make it easy for them. And so what he did was he set up two temples, one in a town called Dan, the other in a town called Bethel. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make this real easy for y'all. Y'all come to these towns. They're a lot closer to you. And you know what? We're going to, we're going to set up an image of, of God. Now, when he said set up an image of God, he did not set up an image of a capital G God. He set up the image of a lowercase g God. And he set up this bull calf. And it was to represent God. But he, in his mind, in his thinking, 
he is, he is he is taking the people away from Jehovah God and he's focusing their attention on this lesser God over here. And here's what that opened the door for. We've all heard of Elijah, right? And we've heard of what Elijah did on the top of Mount Carmel. We talked about mountains several weeks ago, right? And, and he met up there with the prophets of Baal. This is what happens. This is what happened when Jeroboam said, we're going to set up this false god for our people to worship, and we're going to make it easy and comfortable, and, and you're not going to have to travel all the way to Jerusalem to do it, and it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be real good. What happened next? We now have gods of every kind flooding into these temples. And this little simple act of, I'm going to make it a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient, you're not going to have to sacrifice as much. You're not going to have to give as much. The rules and, and the temple rules, all of that's going to be a lot easier. It's not going to be as burdensome for you. I'm going to make it a lot easier for you, church. Just, just y'all start worshiping over here at my temple. And that was a very slippery slip. And that's what happened. And so Hosea comes on the scene. He's a man of God. And basically, if you summarize God's issue against Israel with one word, it would be this, harlotry. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I hope you mark these in your Bibles, but it's going to come up on the screen. This is the very beginning of his message to the people. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go! Marry a promiscuous woman and have children work with her for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, I want you to just think about that for a second. I mean, this is the, we're jumping straight into the deep end. God knows that he's being cheated on. So he tells his messenger, Hosea, to go and find the most promiscuous woman around and marry her. And, and, and not just marry her, but, but have a family with her. Now, just so you know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but they had three children together. That was a question that, that was asked. They, 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 had, they had three children and, and let me just tell you a little bit about the children real quick. Not that it has much to do with the rest of our sermon, but just so you kind of get a taste of what's going on. The firstborn was a, a Jezreel. That's his name. And Jezreel is the name of the city where Ahab and Jezebel committed many notorious murders. Right? So, so, so they have this first child, and God tells Hosea, name this boy Jezreel after this place that Ahab and Jezebel have committed many, many, many notorious murders. The second child, the middle child, is named, and this is found in Hosea 1.6, it's not coming up here, but Lo Ruhama. It's a Hebrew word. Now, Ruhama refers to God's tender mercy. Okay? It literally means wound, symbolizing the astonishing love that Yahweh bears for his chosen people. Ruhama is an acknowledgement that life is a gift 
from God. However, in the Hebrew language, when you put the word lo, it reverses the meaning so that it means no mercy, no pity. It is the withdrawal of God's love and mercy and compassion toward his people. These are the kids. The, the, the third one is lo ami, which straight up means not my people. So ami would be my people. Lo ami is not my people. So Hosea is this messenger. When God comes on, he asks this faithful man, he asks this righteous man to marry a promiscuous woman to have a family. And the sovereign Lord of the universe knows what he's doing. This does not make sense to me in my, in my mind. As I live in 2023 and I read scripture, why in the world would a sovereign God ever ask one of his faithful people to do something like this? As I think about this, as I ponder this, and I think about eventually Jesus coming to earth and Jesus laying down his life for you and I, I'm reminded of the fact that God will do anything to get his people to return to a right relationship with him. He will allow suffering. He, he will allow us to become uncomfortable. So God asking this righteous man to marry a very promiscuous woman. God's doing it for the attention of the people in hopes that they will return to a right relationship with him. So you read through that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you kind of get the picture of, of Hosea, and you get the Gomer, and you, you, you get the, the relationship there. But in chapter 4, God lets his people know what he has against them. Verses 1 and 2, Hosea 4, verse 1, says, Hear the word of the Lord. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, all about the marriage, Hosea and Gomer, Right? Verse 4, we're now turning this public to everybody else. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in this land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. That's the charge. And it sounds like some pretty ruthless people, right? I mean, like, this all started, all right, because there was a king who wanted to make worshiping the Lord easy, and he created a different version of who God is. And they started on this slippery slope, and they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going to where now they are a people who lack faith. They lack love. They curse. They lie. They murder. They steal. And they commit adultery. That's who these people have become. And outside, right? Out, I mean, outside the occasional cursing and lying, 
I'm glad that we cannot relate to these people who are cheating on God, right? I mean, not an amen anywhere, right? I mean, right, like, like I read that list, I think of you guys, and I'm sure that yeah, there's probably a few words that have slipped out of your mouth a time or two, you know, when you hit your hand on something or whatever the case may be. I'm sure there's been a few little white lies. But outside of that, we can't relate to these people at all. Hallelujah. I mean, our idol worship has nothing to do with golden bulls. We're not, a, we're not murdering a bunch of thieves who commit adultery. Our lack of faithfulness is not near as brash as these people, right? I mean, yeah, maybe, okay, we got apathy. We, I mean, we, okay, I, I don't care. Like, that, that's, that's a mindset that happens within the American church. You know, we pass by people who are in need, and we don't care. We pass by people who, who don't have a relationship to the Lord, and, and, we, and we, don't, we don't care. We get our feelings hurt, so we don't give to God, and we don't care. It's, we're not murdering thieves. I, I, I mean, our, our lack of faithfulness isn't near what theirs is. I mean, yeah, we're not going to get too uncomfortable, I mean, you know, we, we, we are, our comfort is, is going to take priority in, in, in life. We're going to chase the American dream. Because it's from God, right? I mean, God's blessed us, and he's given us the ability to be free and to chase the American dream and to have all the nice stuff and have nice retirement accounts and to live comfortably and to do all the things that we want to do, right? I mean, th there's no way our American dream and the pursuit of happiness and everything that the American dream stands for is a lack of faithfulness towards God. No way. What is it? Are we just a modern day Israel? Sure, we don't kill people. And sure, we don't commit adultery. But are we distracted by other things? There's no way that we as a church, as a, as a people, can be compared to Goma, the promiscuous wife who cheated on her husband time and time. But we never cheat on God. The message of Hosea speaks to me. Sad to say. The message of Hosea better speak to the American church who has created a very feel-good culture where we place our comfort and desires at the center of our relationship with God. I mean, Jesus spoke some pretty harsh words every now and again. And he said things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I mean, we, we love that. We love to read through that and check the box of, yeah, I'm doing this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. When was the last time you denied yourself anything? When was the last time you denied yourself anything? 
was thinking about that for me. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll put me up here, right? I'm up here. Michael, when was the last time? And you know what? It was this past week, church. Pat on the back. I denied myself this week. You want to know what it was? I finally made peace with the fact that I don't need a new iPad. God said that down front. I'm not making this up. I have been wanting a new iPad for months on end. I've talked to James about it, and, and I've, I've, I've talked to other people about it, and, and I'm like, man, I, I should use it. I need a new iPad. First off, I need a bigger iPad. All right? Need, need the font to be a little bit bigger on the, old, on the old screen. All right? Let's be real. So I'm justifying all this. I'm justifying why I need it. This iPad right here, man, this iPad right here still has a little home button thing right down here. Do y'all believe I have to suffer through pushing that little home button? And half y'all in the crowd are like, what's he even talking about? I get you. you. You don't understand. But I'm telling you. Like, I'm really having to make some sacrifices to push the home button to get to that place. And I came to peace this week with Michael. This iPad is fine. I was going to donate. How about this for church culture? I was going to get me a new iPad. And they got the fancy keyboard and a little track thing right there. And I, I was going to get all of that stuff. Somebody over here already has one. And they like to rub it in their face that they have one in front of me. And, and so Satan's over here, like, tempting me with this thing, right? I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers or anything. I just, I guess I did point fingers. But, but anyway, right? I was going to get this and out of the kindness of my heart, donate mine to the church, which is exactly what we do, right? We take our old stuff that we no longer want and we give it to the church and say, hey, church, Jesus, here you go. And I did come to peace this week. That, you know what? There's really and truly nothing wrong. I could probably stand to use a new case because some things would fall apart a little bit. But there's nothing wrong with this. It works. It does everything that I need it to. And as I think about it, this was the last time I denied myself an iPad. When was the last time you denied yourself anything for the sake of the kingdom? I mean, we asked you at the beginning of the year, church, hey, put your yes on the table to God. That was the challenge. You put your yes on the table to God and say, God, uh, here it is. I am available to you. I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And I'm going to deny myself whatever it is for the thing that matters most to you, God. Here's my yes. But here's what we do in our culture. We don't deny ourselves. We make room for God when it's convenient. We reschedule our plans to do the thing that the church is asking if the rescheduling doesn't interfere too much with what I have going on. See it all the time. The people who heard Hosea's message prostituted themselves with false gods for so long that they eventually forgot who their real God was was they were considered to be unfaithful. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hey, let me tell you, there's a sermon on this verse alone. I'm going to just say this real quick. The lack of knowledge does not have to do 
with facts or information to guide us. We crave facts. We would much rather go to Bible studies and learn information than we would sit in living rooms and be transparent and talk about what God's Word is speaking into my life. The church culture craves facts because facts are easy. And I'm not, I'm not knocking learning stuff. I'm learning stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm taking courses to become more knowledgeable of God's Word. But if I learn an interesting fact about God or the Bible, I feel as though my studying or participating in, in the class or the sermon, that it's all worth it. And the Hebrew word here for knowledge is more difficult for me to say than what I can say. But here's the actual definition. So this word knowledge is focus on application of God. That's what the word knowledge is. This Hebrew word for knowledge is focused on application of God. Hosea's message is you have rejected the application of who God is. You have forgotten what is important to God and you refuse to live that out in your lives. And he goes on to say, therefore, Israel, I've rejected you from being a priest. Right? I know what we think, because we're, you know, we're like, oh, that's no big deal. We're not Catholic. Except for the New Testament rolls around, and Peter tells all followers of Jesus that you are a chosen people. Just like Israel was a chosen people. And you're not just priests, you are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. And since you are God's chosen people, since you are royal priests, you know what your job is. You know what the expectation is in that relationship? That you are going to tell the wonderful acts of God to the nations, to the world. Because God has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so Hosea is writing down this message and he's speaking on God's behalf. And he says, God is rejecting you people as priests because you refuse to live out the knowledge of who he is. I'm having this uncomfortable, strong feeling that we as a culture are refusing to live out the knowledge of who he is. Jesus' own words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, would you like stop right there? This is Jesus saying to his followers. And an audience on a hill who were hearing about him, some for the first time. For rabbis, for Pharisees who, who teach and preach of this Messiah who is coming. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
only the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. And then he goes on. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform miracles? Then I'm going to tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. The Israelites are thinking, our king set up this worship over here. Uh, this king made it a little bit easier for us to go to church. This king made it easier for us to, to worship. Yeah, it's not quite the same as the as you know going to the temple and worshiping up there. It's a little bit easier. It's a lot more convenient. I don't have to give as much. I don't have to do as much. The expectations are a lot lower. And the Israelites, the everyday Israelites are living their life and they're like, what's the big deal? And God's like, you're cheating on me. That's the big deal. And Jesus right here says, there's a group of people who are in their minds living this thing out. They're prophesying in His name. They're casting out demons. They're performing miracles. And He's going to look at them and say, not so with you. Out of my sight, you evil doers. That should like, concern us. Are we, are, we, are, we, are we these people? Are we the recipients of Hosea's message right now? So what's God desire? What's God desire? Well, Hosea in, in, in chapter 3, verse 3, looks at his wife, his promiscuous wife, and keeps cheating. He says to her that you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Gomer, you have lived a life of cheating. You are no longer to be a prostitute. You are to be faithful to me and to me only. It's a living parable. That's the message to you. All of Israel, that's the message to you and I. We are to be faithful to God and God only. And, and, and God says, I will be the same way towards you. I will be faithful to you. Hebrews, I'm, I'm sorry, Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 4 says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? That's, that's Israel and Judah. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's what God wants. Let, 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 me, let me say it this way. I love the NLT's version of it. It's a little bit easier for you and I. 
O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight. I mean, y'all all get that. That's what, he, that's what he says to them about their love. Like it, it's, it's there for just a moment and then it's gone. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgment as, insca as inescapable as life. It's like, man, I've sent these prophets to warn you. you to show love to whom it always starts in the house. It always starts in the family dynamic because that's who God created. God didn't create countries. He didn't create nations. He, he created a family, Adam, Eve. Told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And, and, and so I want you to show love. It's always going to be about God and for God, but that's displayed in how we treat people. It always starts in the house. Husbands, are you loving your wives the way Christ loved the church? I want you to show love. 
Are you loving your neighbor as you do yourself? Are you loving yourself? Are you taking care of the spiritual needs between you and God? I want you to show love. And the interesting thing about Jesus, the interesting thing about the very thing that we're going to do tonight with inviting the community. Jesus said, you don't have to do VBSs. You don't have to do that. You don't do that to do campaigns. You don't have to do all this stuff to, to, to let the world know about me. You know what you have to do? Love one another as I have loved you. That's how the world's going to know that you're my followers. We can sit out here and we can tell them all we want. We can tell them that we're Christ followers. Jesus said, that's not how it works. You want to know how you're going to let those people, the people down the street, the people in your office, the people wherever, you want to know how they're going to know that you're my follower? By the way you love one another. And so this is what God is saying to the people. I want you to show love. You can bring your sacrifices, you can bring your offerings. They mean nothing to me. I want you to know me and listen to me. So we're at this transition time in the year, and I know we got some retired people here, and you just you don't even know what day you just know you wake up and you live life and you, you go on. But we got kids, you know, in homes and, and some schools out, and there's this, this this transition right here at this time of year. It's about to get really busy as vacations and all that kind of stuff are taking place, and, and, and all that kind of stuff is going to be going on. I felt it in my own life. And when things get busy, you want to know what gets left behind? My neglect. We're spending time together. We have mission trips. We had this list prepared. We had a meeting last night. We had this list prepared. And, and for, so we had, for the first time, all six of us were in the room together. And Amanda's like, read this list for me. And she goes, I, and it's telling everybody what they need. She goes, do you think we should tell them to bring a Bible? I'm like, well, probably a good idea for us to take on a mission trip. Pack a Bible. I completely forgot about it. And, and that's just a, a, a picture of what God does. Get busy. Get living life. We forget all the intimacy and the time of God. And I want you to know me, he says, more than I even want your offerings and your sacrifices.
Father God, we thank you for the message of Isaiah and how it speaks to our culture, how it speaks to, to our own lives personally, how it speaks to my lives. I'm embarrassed, God, that sometimes I forget about this relationship from the standpoint of I put other things before It's always me. It's always my comfort. It's always my desires that I put before you. And so, God, I, I, I pray that we do not justify I pray that I will not justify But I will seek to show love to others. not reject the knowledge of who you are and the desire in my life. Father, I praise the church we live this out well. pray that we are willing to deny ourselves and our flesh for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of others. Thank you, God, for hearing us today. Pray these things in your son's holy name.